Hi, welcome to Panel Breakouts, mini-episodes between Unstable Molecules podcasts which take a quick peek at early Marvel comics and comic history. I'm Gary Hollingsby, and I've been looking at the comics that fed into the Marvel style and launched its superhero universe in the early 1960s. Recently, I've been looking at the Goodman Company's publications aimed at girls in the 1950s, as well as Simon and Kirby's creation of the romance genre and tracing the influence they had on the early Marvel superhero comics. Love Romances was a long-running title for the Goodman Comics Company, which became Marvel, and ran for 103 issues between 1948 and 1963. Originally called Ideal, the comic started as a historical title for four issues, telling stories like Antony and Cleopatra and Joan of Arc, before issue five's Love and Romance theme, which was cover dated March 1949, which must have been a response to Simon and Kirby's Young Romance, and the love glut of comics that happened at the start of the 1950s. And it renamed itself as Love Romances with issue 6, which had a May 1949 cover date. One of the assignments given to Jack Kirby when he returned to work at Goodman's Company, which was essentially Marvel in all but name at that point, at the end of the 1950s, was to draw covers for romance titles published by the, com- by the company, such as Teenage Romance, My Own Romance and Love Romances. Kirby also provided interior art for My Own Romances in issues 73 and 74, and for Love Romances in issues 85, and then a run from issue 96 to 105. Marvel's romance comics were anthology titles and included the work of creators like Vince Coletta, Don Heck, Paul Hyman, Christopher Rule, Russ Heath and Dick Giordano. Many of these would go on to play important roles in establishing the Marvel superhero universe in the 1960s. Most of the comics companies produced romance titles, but Goodman's is held in high esteem by comic fans. Trina Robbins, author of From Girls to Girls, has talked about her preference for a Marvel romance comic style that was lush, warm and organic, and depicted handsome men and beautiful women in fashionable clothing. Looking at the comics from today, they seem formulaic and portray quaint gender stereotypes. Their readers are middle-class white girls aspiring to marry into money or enter into professional jobs where they hope to meet the right man to settle down with. Love Romances number 85, issue 85, which had a January 1960 cover date, is typical of the type of anthology romance title targeted at girls, and it's even subtitled Girls in Love and contains five short stories and a short prose text. It gives a good indication of the type of romance comic that Stan Lee, Jack Kirby and the other Marvel creators were working on at the point where the Marvel superhero universe was created. The Kirby and Vince Coletta cover, which has Stan Goldberg on colours, has a typical or depicts a typical love triangle where a young woman sits weeping in what looks like a wheelchair in the foreground saying it's too late larry leave me leave before your heart breaks like mine and we see larry standing nearby saying i tell you i do love you my darling no matter what happens i want you i need you you've got to believe me and behind them in the middle of the cover is the other woman looking on with a smile and a thought bubble saying the more he vows his love the more she'll think he pitied her she'll never have him the large caption box addresses the reader directly what would you do if you were diana cummings if you could have anything in the world except the man you love thrill as you read 
I learned to love from Larry. When you actually read the story, which is the last in the comic, you realise that the cover is pretty misleading and the other woman is completely absent from the story entirely, which centres on the devotion of a movie star's agent to an actress when she becomes incredibly ill. Inside, the first five-page story is The Man I Love, which is pencilled and inked by Vince Coletta, although I have seen Matt Baker credited with pencils. Coletta's inking has always had its critics. He was a fast worker, able to deliver Kirby quantity pages, and simply produced functionable but not amazing inks. Some artists thought these simplified their pencils, and there is an ongoing debate about whether or not Coletta's inks reduced reduced um, the quality of um, certainly Jack Kirby's penciling. It's also argued that Coletta's best work was romance, and there is a distinctive what's called a Coletta woman. And whether or not he inked his own pencils or another artist's, I think certainly the art in this story is certainly as good as the Kirby story at the end of the issue. And Two Morals publishes a fantastic book about Coletta called The Thin Black Line that gives a balanced account of Coletta's life and work. And certainly it's worth reading, and to call him a character will be an understatement. The story, The Man I Love, is told from the point of view of Judy, a life model who poses for top-notch commercial artist Keith Hamilton. At the start, she's posing for him while, she, while he works on a painting. And he asks her out for a date, and that evening picks her up in his Jaguar, buys her roses, passes the host, uh, sort of passes the, the, the host at the restaurant $50 to get her a table, orders the food and best champagne. Afterwards, they go dancing, and Keith tells her that his motto is, if you revel all day, you'll keep boredom away and he's not serious about anything. Judy, of course, enjoys Keith's entertainment, especially when he hires a trio to serenade her, and after several weeks they tell each other they are in love and get engaged. Judy says that they'll have to cut down on their carefree activities and decides they need to be more sober. She convinces him to trade in his jag for a more conventional and cheaper car and begins to socialise with more conservative circle of friends. Then, as often happens in these types of stories, she begins to lose interest in Keith. He's settling down because he loves her and she's bored to tears with him. Luckily, she wakes up one night and realises that she's responsible for turning him into a Class A bore. And she tells him to go back to being the man she fell in love with and decides she will marry him and spend the rest of her life with him. It's a happy, conventional romance ending. The second five-page story, He Can't Have My Love, has art by J. Scott Pike. Pike was an artist working in the industry who's best remembered for his pin-up, good-time cheesecake work more than anything else. He produced pages for Atlas during the 1950s, but didn't continue with the company into their superhero comics and his last, the last work for the company in 1960. He did move to work for National Stroke DC in the mid-60s and was the creator of the female superhero Dolphin, who at one point was the lover of Aquaman and... Tempest, who was Aqualad, um, and at some point she was killed off, but then resurrected as a zombie in DC's Blackest Night event in 2009. Pike's art, or at least the inking, is the weakest of the issue, and the message of the story, which is essentially one about a young woman accepting that an abusive man who attempts to sexually assault her can change and deserves admiration, is for me quite uncomfortable. The story is a first-person narrative where Claire a student at Allison College, has fallen for Frank Lowell. 
He literally bumps into her when she when he's playing football and asks her out on a date. He takes her out in his car and they have dinner together. On the way home, he pulls over and tries it on with her, and she has to slap him to keep him away. She tells her roommate that when she wants to kiss a man, it will be when she wants to and not because she has to. And a couple of days later, she bumps into Frank and he apologises, telling her that up until that point that she slapped him, his attitude towards women was selfish. And he delivers, he then delivers a, a speech about a man-woman relationship having to be based on mutual respect and consideration. And she forgives him and they leave holding hands. If Love Be Blind, which has art by Don Heck, is a, a four-page story about a young woman who's scarred in a riding accident. Don Heck joined Atlas in 1954 and, and worked on every type of genre the company published. And he produced standout work with an ongoing character called Torpedo Taylor in Navy Action, as well as a lot of um, artwork in Western books, such as Wyatt Earp, Gunsmoke Western and Kid Colt. And his work on romance title, particularly love romances, is, is very stylish and shows that he has a natural eye for drawing fashionable, attractive women. A little later, Heck was involved in drawing the early Iron Man adventures in Tales of Suspense, um, issue 29, um, in Ant-Man, in Tales to Astonish, starting with issue 41, the Avengers with issue 9, and some Amazing Spider-Man, and later in the 1960s, Uncanny X-Men, um, beginning with issue 37. Um, he was also involved in Ghost Rider from issue 1 and Captain, Ish Captain Marvel from issue 5. So he went on to play um, an incredible role in those early Marvel superhero comics. In If Love Be Blind, we have a character called Kathy, who's a beautiful 19-year-old, who has a riding accident with um, with while she's um, riding a horse with her friends, and it leaves a small scar on her face. She locks herself away and refuses to see her friends. After a while, her mother convinces her to go out, and she meets Bill, who falls immediately in love with her, and, and later on asks her to marry him. And she says, For a brief instant, I thought I was in paradise, but then an awareness as cold as death swept through me, and I drew away from Bill. And she convinces herself that... He couldn't possibly love her because she's disfigured. The next day when they meet, she's ready to break up with Bill when he points out the rash on another girl that spoils the other girl's beauty. And Kathy demands to know what he feels about her scar. And he admits that he hadn't noticed it and his love for her makes him blind to it. She then accepts his proposal and they kiss. And the final panel, weirdly, as a policeman walking by who sees them and comments on the miracle of young love, a bit like The Watcher um, would turn up in later Marvel stories. The next story is a four-pager called I'm Too Shy for Romance, with art by Paul Reinman. And Reinman was a, a long-standing artist for Marvel who had worked from the company for, from the early 1940s. Some of his earliest work was on the first timely Golden Age superhero comics, and I think one of his earliest credited pieces, um, which was Pencils and Inks for a, a story called The Falcon, was in issue two of The Human Torch, with a full 1940 cover date. Romance was unusual for Reinman, and his work until this point had largely been sort of 1950s action-focused war titles. Um, he was particularly prolific in naval comics. Now, the story, I'm Too Shy for Romance, is a first-person narrative where Anne, a quiet and shy woman, 
um, working at the Bradwell age, Advertising Agency, works with a group of outgoing women who know how to talk to men, quite unlike Anne. She's asked to work late with Dan Saunders, the most popular male in the agency, and Dan shows his appreciation by asking Anne out on a date for a musical the following Saturday. Anne worries that she's too dull to provide clever remarks and playful bantering, which is echoed by the catty remarks of the women at the agency. She does go out, and the date involves a rich, boorish couple who dislike the musical. They all go dancing together, and Anne tells Dan all about her life, and suddenly he says he has a headache and needs to take her home. She worries that she's bored him, but he tells her that he's used his headache as an excuse because he enjoyed her company so much she wanted to be alone with her. He likes her because she's honest and unaffected. He asks her out on another date, and at the end she tells the reader, My shyness wasn't a happy handicap. For every type of girl there's the right man, and my singing heart shouted, I'd found mine. And of course the thousands of shy comic reading girls would have undoubtedly loved this ending. The final story in in, in the comic, I Learned About Love from Larry, is by Kirby, Jack Kirby and Christopher Rule. In the 13 years between 1947, when Joe Simon and Kirby had worked on My Date for Hillman Periodicals and Young Romance for Crestwood, and 1960, it's estimated that over half the artwork that Kirby produced for all genres was actually romance. And it either says a great deal about comic tastes at the time and, and the audiences for comics at the time, or that Kirby was actually quite interested in this as an artist. Kirby had returned to work for Goodman's company towards the end of 1958. Um, he'd had the Sky Masters trouble with Jack Schiff over at National, which had more or less stopped him from working there. And and about the same time, Stan Lee had lost his collaborator Joe Manili, who'd fallen to his death from a train in June 1958. Kirby, later in his life, explained how he had returned to Goodman's company just as they were carrying the furniture out of the offices, and he was there to save them. And while Kirby's story might have been exaggerated, it's clear that he, he did pick up a number of assignments from Lee, who did absolutely need him, um, which were most likely covers for romances and westerns to start with. Now, the story in issue 85 of um, Young Romances is I Learned About Love from Larry, which seems an effortless piece by Kirby and Rule, and undoubtedly the best artwork in the issue. Christopher Rule's inks particularly are light enough so that the that Kirby's art looks stylish and very, very glamorous. The story opens with movie star Diana Cummings explaining how she's Hollywood's love goddess. The first and the first full page splash shows Diana dressed in period costume filming a scene. After a panel where everyone compliments on her acting, we meet Larry, her agent. He's young, blonde, attractive. And when they talk about love, Larry declares his real and deep and lasting love for her, which Diana doesn't take seriously. And in a caption, she calls him a mere agent. We then have a page of scenes showing her busy lifestyle and glamorous friends, while Larry quietly looks on watching and longing for her. Then one day on set, she faints. And after two weeks of hospital examination, she's told she's contracted a virus, which has paralysed her. She's dropped by a studio who immediately start building up another young actress. Diana then tells about how her friends stop visiting, and the only one who spends time with her is Larry, who still declares his love for her. 
He spends his time encouraging her and helping her regain mobility until she can walk again. And her recovery is headline news. And immediately the movie company want to sign her back up as, on a new contract. Dinah, however, refuses to return to movies, declares her greatest role is going to be that of Larry's wife, and the story's final panel shows Larry and Diana kissing. It's all quite soapy and melodramatic. Young Romance, issue 85, is good at providing an idea about the type of romance comic that the Marvel team were producing at the start of the 1960s. It's possible to see how the elements of soap opera in these early romance story, in these romance stories, um, and Kirby's quite intense and paced storytelling find their expression in the early superhero comics. In terms of the romantic influence on the later Marvel superhero stories, um, take the way that Betty Brant, J. Jonah Jameson's secretary's secretary, her love for Peter Parker is developed in the early issues of Amazing Spider-Man. She starts by telling Peter she thinks he's wonderful in issue 5, which makes Peter actually think about how he feels about her. And then there's a developing flirty relationship, um, including the quiet moment they share hiding behind a table in issue 7. And after that, she starts suspecting something's up, that he has a deep secret um, in issue 9, and then worries that he might enjoy the danger and excitement of um taking photos of Spidey in his battles. And at the end of issue nine, there's a, a typical soapy scene where they argue. Peter walks away and Betty chases after him while Lee ends the story with a caption. And so two thoughtful, slightly confused young people walk off into the dusk, each groping for the right words to say, each feeling the first pangs of that emotion we call love. So all of this could be straight out the pages of love romances. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this has been Panel Breakouts, a mini podcast about the comics that laid the foundation for the early Marvel superhero universe. (laughs) 